When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on sending cards to your significant other's family, public thank yous for donations, the rhythm of entertaining, the kindness of strangers, and entertaining exes. Plus a postscript segment on wedding planning and your feedback and etiquette salute all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. I can feel the smiles in our voices. Oh, wait. I can feel them on my face. It's Friday. (laughs) It is. We're doing an extra recording. Thank you, everybody, for rearranging your schedules because I am headed to New York City on Monday to talk about Bob Evans' new brunch menu and the etiquette of brunch and brunch, 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 brunch. And we love country living, but we also love New York City. (laughs) It's so much fun to visit a big city when you've been holed up in snowstorms and the beautiful, wonderful Vermont mountains (laughs) and forests. Why do I need to escape? (laughs) I do love it here so much, but it's really fun to sneak out to the city for a business trip. And this will be a fun one, you know, talking to to lots of reporters and things and doing doing lots of interviews. So it'll be good. And I love the people that I work with over at Bob Evans. So it's kind of one of those like, I can't wait to see you. Where do you want to go for dinner? Oh, we're going to do this. So much fun. It's like, it's really nice when the people you work with are very enjoyable to be around. You know what I mean? It's like that doesn't always happen. No, it's absolutely the best. It's one of the joys of family business when it's working well. (laughs) And it's the joy of a client that's a really good client or a really good customer or partner. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It makes working together so much fun. What are you going to be doing? I've got like travel plans, but what's going on here at home? Hosting, hosting, hosting. You got guests coming this weekend. We do. and. This weekend, Cousins from Boston. Cool. Coming up and looking forward to my folks are returning home. They've been traveling, so they're back on the hill. We've been kind of alone up on up on the mountain. Uh, no babysitter right next door. No, no, the babysitters are out enjoying life at the moment. <laughs> But no, Cousins coming up and then Friends and we're looking at the calendar. We're starting to schedule weekends. Now, this and isn't the first. These aren't the first guests you've had because you all have had Pooja's parents up for a while during the first kind of weeks of baby. And mm-hmm. so you're not new to hosting in your new home. But what did you learn kind of from having? I feel like when family comes, it's the soft host. Like you mm-hmm. can get a, you want to do the best because they're mom and dad. But you also get away with like, you know, the dirty corners and like, oh, no, mom bought the food in the fridge, you know? And I'm curious, so what's it like thinking about hosting someone where you're really going to be the host host? So the bigger story or the the more complicated story is that we're moving out through the social spheres. And you're absolutely right. It was. It was parents and really close friends. Now we're into cousin circles and college friends. Okay. So we're moving outward and we're just amazed. People have been offering to bring food with them. That's so nice. When they come, we've (laughs) had some really remarkable guests. and Like they've really been paying attention to the fact that they're coming to a home with a one-month-old today baby. And so it's, it's like, hey, what can we do to help make this easier? That's nice. Your guests are being good guests. They really are. And it does make things so much easier. And we do our best. We try to be good hosts. Before I left the house this morning, I found myself as I was making coffee, changing a diaper, running around. I was also picking things up and just putting things away and stacking the coasters on the coffee table and trying to make the house 
Um, it, it's in great shape, but also just look just dialed. I like that just little touch, that hint of attention that makes a guest feel comfortable when they walk through the door. Taken care of, yeah. It's the beginning of the host guest dance. Yes. And I can feel us both playing it even though we're still hundreds of miles apart. <laughs> and it definitely makes me look forward to the visit that's imminent. Very nice. Well, I, here's our ham-handed transition, am looking forward to some etiquette questions. Shall you want to help me answer some? I'd love to. <laughs> The heart of Awesome Etiquette is answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or leave us a message on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette so that we know you want it on the show. Love conquers all! We didn't plan that. I like this love <laughs> theme that's already building early in the show. I didn't notice. I'm so sorry. I was thinking of, okay, like my favorite childhood movie was the Disney version of Robin Hood with the foxes and all the animals that, you know, play the characters and everything. And the chicken, Lady Cluck, at one point goes, love conquers all in her very like, I don't even know what accent she has, that is but it's the awesome. the best movie. I know. And so as soon as this came in, I was like, oh, okay, we'll have to read it that way. Anyway, um, little aside into my childhood. Our question is titled Love Conquers All and it begins, Hi Lizzie and Dan, I love your podcast. I live six hours away from my mom and listening to your podcast together is something we love to share. When I was home for Christmas, we were so excited to be able to actually listen to an episode together while baking our apple pies. That is a lovely, wholesome image. Here is my question. I have been with my boyfriend for three years and truly adore his family and really love expressing my gratitude and love. Last week, I told my boyfriend I was going to mail some Valentine's cards out to the people that I love, his family included, and he told me he thought it was unnecessary to send his family a Valentine's Day card. I ended up writing them a card but only signing my name. Now, after telling my mom this story, she thinks it was very strange of me to send a card to his family only for me. She thinks it sent the wrong message. Is it bad etiquette? I did not mean to throw my boyfriend under the bus. Signed, Valentine's Dilemma. P.S. Congratulations, Dan. We're so excited for you. Thank you, Valentine's <laughs> Dilemma. I so appreciate your excitement, and I feel it myself. So um, I want to start off by saying that I don't really think you did anything wrong here. Yeah, I really ditto. appreciate your enthusiasm and the effort that you're putting into this relationship. You are definitely a couple, and the length of your relationship, I think, makes it reasonable to think of yourself as a couple and, and to want to honor that. But you're also an individual. You don't sacrifice that individuality just because you're in a relationship. And some people don't warm to the idea of Valentine's in the same way. It's a, a bigger holiday for some than for others. And if it's one that you really want to honor and you feel inspired to send a card, I think that you can go right ahead and send that card and sign it on your own. Totally. And you have been with this gentleman for three years, and I am definitely assuming here because sometimes this doesn't happen. But my guess is you've established a relationship with his family. Like, you probably have lines of communication with them at this point that are your own. I remember a boyfriend I had like five or six years ago. His mom would send me things and I would write her, you know, or she would send us things. And sometimes I would be the one to write the note back or, you know, cards back and forth between us. You're right. An individual is still an individual within that relationship. And I don't think she stepped on any toes. She talked to her boyfriend and he was like not about being like, oh, can I get in on that? Or, oh, I should get a card too. Let's send him a whole package. That wasn't his reaction. So I think at that point you go it alone. You celebrate it on your own. You don't worry about trying to sign his name. Maybe sometimes you could write his name in parentheses after like, and of course, Dan too, or what, you know, whatever his name is. But I don't think you have to. And so be an individual. I like it. Send your own Valentines. Nothing wrong. No, nothing. Well, once it's done, the card's finished. You might even pick up the phone and say, hey, I've got this card. I'm about to stick it in the envelope. Do you want me to put your name on it? He might very well say yes. And yeah. this might be the beginning of uh, a new phase of the relationship. I like the possibility that in the future you might do this together, maybe yeah. for a different holiday or for a different occasion, or if you're thanking someone for an event that you attended together, you might absolutely decide to take that approach of sending the card as a couple. But just because you're a couple doesn't mean every communication out of your home has to be as a couple, right? I, definitely not. Yeah. As a little aside, yeah. I always like to mention I had a very good friend growing up who was the nice guy. He was the best friend in the nice Aww. guy category, and he would always send my parents a card. And 
it was really nice. It, they always thought of him <laughs> as the nice guy, and exactly, it, is, it really established him as a, a special person, and it, it put him in a category of thoughtfulness yeah. that. I think I remember to this day, and it doesn't necessarily need to be something that's fraught. It can just be a nice gesture. You know, with the fraught comment, you're reminding me that cards in general just don't have to be fraught, that some years I get them from people, other years I don't. Some years I send Valentine's, some years I send birthday cards, other years I don't. They kind of come and go. They're supposed to be light. They're supposed to be easy. I think that's exactly what you did, and if I were you, I'd feel pretty good about it. So, Valentine's Dilemma, I hope that you can rest at ease knowing that you spread a little love on Valentine's Day, and I bet it was appreciated. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day... We here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is about public thank yous. Hello. My late husband and his circle of friends around the world are avid Facebook users. When he recently passed, a few restaurants and individuals donated food, wine, and their workspace and money. I'm in the process of handwriting thank you cards to each of them. I wanted to know if it was appropriate to post a thank you note to each restaurant and individual on his Facebook page as well. Thank you in advance. Natasha. Natasha, I'm really glad that you wrote in about this because it's kind of a the, the second step beyond in a thank you where I think you're taking a minute to really apply consideration and respect and honesty and, and think about it before you do this. And I would not advise you to post this to Facebook in regards to the individuals and the companies who donated time, service, space, money, whatever it was. The private thank you note, totally appropriate. Definitely do it. Would really recommend it. The public one, though, I would be careful about. And I'll let Dan kind of parse out the carefulness. But my reason for saying I would not post it is that you don't know if they want their donation to be made public, first of all. And Facebook is very public. You don't know who else might have been a frequenter of this place and might feel like, wow, well, they didn't do that for my father's funeral or something like that. And you just, you have no permission from them to expose the fact that they've made this donation and helped out in this way. Now, it might have been really apparent at the service or at the reception, something like that. But, you know, the the people from the restaurant might have been there serving the food and all of that. So it might be really well known within the community. But I think my cousin Dan has a better way to handle posting praise on Facebook and Tell them what you're thinking, because I I was glad that you added this point to the question. I fundamentally agree with my cousin's advice. I think that you want to be really careful with such personal information exposure on such a public forum. And you just don't know when you're meeting those people in person, you can navigate the subtleties of the interaction and the relationship. When you're sending that thank you note, it's a one on one message that's really 
getting directly to the person who you want to receive it. And the medium communicates the seriousness and the the care that you took delivering that message. I think that when you get into those public forums, it can feel much more ephemeral to people and it can also feel more exposed. I really like that language, that kind of thinking. And I'm also thinking about the people that didn't participate, maybe didn't have the opportunity to participate, couldn't. maybe couldn't participate. and Feel badly then. We often talk about um, exclusion. Clearly your intent here is to thank yeah, and to yeah, honor yeah. and to, to include people. And unfortunately, in such a public forum, there can be other people that might feel excluded. And for that reason alone, I would really stay away from the message to the individual. Now, I also really appreciate the idea of wanting to do something good for the the businesses yeah. that were so helpful or generous. Yeah. And I think that a, a really positive review that maybe doesn't mention so many details that it starts to tread into that personal territory. Of the actual service or the funeral or the reason that this donation was made or even that it was a donation. Exactly. That personal territory that you try to usually stay away from on Facebook. And this is the kind of... Uh, recognition or acknowledgement that you want to be able to broadcast to the largest possible audience. So maybe keeping it a little less personal is going to let you broadcast it a little further and with a little more generosity of spirit in that medium. I love that idea of a review. Something like, you know, have always been so impressed with the level of care and customer service and attention to community that this particular company provides. Those kinds of things are wonderful words to spread without then, as I keep going back to the word, exposing the donation or the support that was kind of for a more private event. For a private Facebook group, yeah. you might share messages of of sort of general thanks and appreciation for all the support that you received um, at a really difficult time. And that can be a good way to get that kind of a message out. You definitely want to be sure that the personal message arrives Precedes. Yeah. Maybe first. You don't <laughs> yeah, want to scoop yeah, yeah, your yeah. own thank you. You don't want someone to think, was that my thank you for yeah. a few days or weeks before they get the that personal note? I didn't think about that, but that's a good point. Get that personal thank you out first. The timing definitely could come into play here. Big picture, I think that you're really taking a lot of care at a difficult time in life and trying to think about how to honor a diverse group of friends that are really dispersed geographically. So... Natasha, thank you for your question. It's a really nice thought. This is one of those places where I think that little discretionary voice that was going off in your head has really served you well. And thanks to your question, hopefully can serve our audience well as well. Our next question is titled Family Ties. And I think this is one that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Our ex-son-in-law will be in Florida for a few days, and I extended an invitation to stay at our home in Florida. We have known him for about 20 years and have gotten along well. Are we wrong? Our daughter lives in Michigan and won't be around. Great question. You got, you know, clearly we're on good terms with former son-in-law. And the question is, how do you balance having a good relationship with him, honoring things that you feel comfortable doing, but at the same time honoring your daughter's concerns, thoughts, relationship. And, you know, we always say when lives split, that that's tough. And, and there are people who, you know, hey, I wasn't affected by this, but someone close to me really was. How do I feel about that? It's a very personal situation. Each family is going to navigate it completely differently. Some stand really tried and true by their blood relative. And, you know, whatever they want is what the whole family will do. Other people tend to go the route of, you know, I'm sorry it didn't work out for you, but I still have a very good relationship with this person and I'd like to feel comfortable maintaining that. Both are correct. You just need to figure out what works for your family and what's respectful to to all the players involved. Um, It's always really nice when after a marriage doesn't work out, when people can be civil with each other, can continue relationships. They understand the marriage didn't work but people are still good people. Um, It sounds like that's what's going on. We don't know how the daughter feels in this situation, and I would go to that. I would look to that. If you at all think your daughter would be really upset about this, again, your relationship with your daughter, so, so think about who she is and what you know and what you know of your relationship. But I would say that I would probably let her know that you've made this invitation. You don't have to ask her permission to make the invitation. 
if she was going to be there, you would have to. But you don't have to ask her permission. But I would let her know, hey, just so you know, Tim was going to be in the area. So we thought we'd make it easier on him. He's going to come stay with us. These are the dates. Because if she calls and like hears him in the background, I think that could be upsetting to her. But if she has the heads up and kind of knows, okay, I'll stay away from mom and dad those couple of days, or at least I kind of know what's going on with my family. It doesn't feel like things are happening kind of behind her back or anything like that. I think that would be important as I'm thinking about this situation. What do you think, Dan? I I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and But I think you've left the latitude that's important here, okay. that really depending on what the divorce was all about and what the status of their relationship is now, if there was a question in your mind, you might ask your daughter yeah. how she feels about it, what she thought. If that question really isn't emerging, I don't think you necessarily have to ask. This is your home. This is your decision to make. And it's certainly not unreasonable to maintain good relationships with exes and for families to maintain good relationships with exes. So there you have it, Anonymous. You can certainly touch base with your daughter. Always good to find out where she's at. But for the most part, it sounds like you're in good stead having made this invitation. This next question has to do with the kindness of strangers. Hello, I have a question about the etiquette around the kindness of a stranger. The other day, my friend and I were driving and we got a flat tire. We were in a rural area that we didn't know very well, but someone who lived on the road came out and offered help. He and his son changed the tire for us and went above and beyond with helping. We were so appreciative. But I felt bad that I didn't know what to do other than say thank you. It felt weird to offer money, but I also felt weird not offering anything. This wasn't a quick, mindless favor. This was two people taking time out of their day to do a task that is annoying and laborious. Should I have paid them? What is the proper way to show appreciation in a situation like this? Was saying thank you enough? Thanks. Anonymous, I agree offering cash somehow feels off. It doesn't feel like it's the right sentiment for the favor. It's not a situation where you were buying services and, you know, you're offering a tip at the end of them. I think often our words don't always feel like enough. Sometimes they truly are. And in these types of situations, I mean, I can remember a thunderstorm in the middle of a summer day on a Saturday and a woman knocked on my door and said, I'm terrified of thunderstorms. Would you please be willing to drive me home? I mean, stranger, I I have no idea who she is. And I drove her home. She felt comfortable. I felt okay about like it all worked out. But it was one of those kindness of strangers moments. And I didn't expect a thank you. I didn't expect a follow up. I didn't expect anything. And sometimes that thank you is really all that that can happen. I would suggest, though, that when these types of situations happen, what can you take note of? Do you know where you are? Could you get back there and drop off a bouquet of flowers or a card in the mailbox? I mean, you were across from their physical place of a dress, you know, Um, in the moment, can you say, I'd I'd love to offer to bake you a pie or something. I can drop it off this weekend or I'd love to, you know, grab a cup of coffee or something like that. You can do those kinds of things, but you don't have to Um, consider yourself very lucky. The the universe sent you someone and they helped in your moment of rural need (laughs) coming from rural areas. Dan and I know actually how important that is. You might be a long couple of miles walk to anything that could be useful to you. So you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, you you have not yeah. just written the experts on this. You've written the experts. <laughs> Lizzie and I both live in rural areas and I was I was on the other end of a situation like this just last weekend. No way. Where a neighbor was coming up to to drop off a bed set and had rented the van in Massachusetts and it was rear wheel drive with summer tires and, and ended up in the ditch. driveway is like about like the steepest grade you could ever imagine. <laughs> I ended up spending a good chunk of the afternoon with shovels and bags of sand and cardboard boxes getting this van out of a yeah. snowbank. And I was thinking to myself over the course of the afternoon – that I love living in a rural community where people help each other out, where because that's the only option, because it's wintertime and there (laughs) aren't that many people around and it would just be wrong Wrong not to to leave somebody out in a snowbank alone dealing with a situation and that, that I'm part of a community where the standard and the expectation is that we help each other out. And my first note on this question is life is good. Yeah, and right. <laughs> I, I love Lizzie's advice that your words are often enough. Never really underestimate are. the power of your words, yeah. the power of a genuine and sincere and 
uh, felt, deeply felt thank you is a really powerful thing that we oftentimes talk about consideration, respect, and honesty. And one of the ways you show your honesty is in your sincerity. And the magic is in you, not in the word. And that sincerity, that your genuine spirit with that thank you is so powerful. I hope people don't mind that I say this, but us country folk, like we like to help. Like we are used to a day where every now and again, when you're when just your day changes and your day might change when someone has a flat tire or is stuck in a ditch and you spend all afternoon with that person. And that's just how it is. And and people who live in cities have their own versions of this, too. And it happens in all communities. But in a lot of rural communities, and we, we can say this because we each grew up in them, you do not – you just – sometimes your day changes and your day is about helping that person who's stuck. And that's just it. It's It's not a huge imposition. And a sincere thank you does make you feel good about having spent the time doing it. So like Dan said, never forget the power of those words. I want to leave you with a final thought that oftentimes our communities are driven by this kind of care that we take with each other and our willingness to do for each other. And as Lizzie points out very wisely, it's true in rural communities. It's true in big cities also. In fact, oftentimes big cities, you have more opportunities, more interactions with more people, and that can make it easier to walk by, but it can also give you more opportunities to help. I had a whole subway car of people help me when I got lost in the subway. No joke. I had at least five or six people who were there with me just completely say I think you're not on the right train and identify because I had my suitcase I was supposed to be going Mm -hmm. to the airport they knew I had missed my stop Mm -hmm. all of them gave me directions helped made sure I felt comfortable I want to encourage everyone out there who likes the tone and the nature of this question I want to encourage our anonymous question sender to think (laughs) about paying this kind of good act forward yes and it's a it's a cliched idea but the next time you drive through the toll booth take the money that you would have paid for that flat tire service and give it to the toll booth operator to let the next 20 cars through after you (laughs) that's the the movie version of it but there are a thousand ways you can pay little acts of kindness forward and be inspired be the person who helps next time look for that opportunity to offer that good advice when you see someone carrying their luggage to the wrong train platform and we will all be in better shape for it. On the other hand, thank you is a simple way to repay those who do things for you. Our next question is titled Girls' Night In. Dear Lizzie and Dan, it is a joy to be writing you because each week I look forward to your podcast, helpful etiquette tips and wonderful insight. You two brighten my world each week as a new podcast comes out and I often find myself talking back with you as if I am in the room trying to join the conversation. Oh, lovely. As soon as I came across this dilemma, I knew that you two were just the right ones to help me solve it. For several years now, I've been hosting all of my girlfriends in my home several times a year for different gatherings. We all have a pretty great rhythm, and it is pretty well known that when we gather, it is ladies only. Every once in a while, a baby will come so as not to exclude the mother altogether, but the big kids stay at home. My dilemma is, as a newly married, we still have our single friends, married friends, and now new couple friends. But how do we invite this gathering of people together and request no children, or at least try to stick to the already established standard? I don't mean to be exclusive, but I also want to A, give parents a break from their children when they come to our home, and B, make my single and childless friends still feel welcome. Is this a common dilemma, or am I just overthinking all of this? Sincerely, Lauren. Lauren, this is a wonderful tradition. I wish I was one of your girlfriends. I would love to come to a girls' night like that. <laughs> I'm craving female friendships these days. I think that um, you you already have an established like girls' night kind of a party, and it is fine to keep those going. You don't just because you're now married or just because maybe five of the other girls in the group have gotten married doesn't mean that all of a sudden it has to be couples' night. Um, I think what I would do is that as you meet women who you would like to have come to these all girls night parties that you do, I would, you know, kind of broach them ahead of time before you send an invite and just say, oh, you know, like my girlfriends and I do these get togethers and it's kind of like, you know, leave the kids at home, leave the husbands at home, leave the partners at home. And instead, you know, come here for a night. It'll be so much fun. And that is totally fine. You've established the idea in that verbal kind of, you know, hey, would you want to come to one of these parties? I think you'd have a great time. I think you'd like 
like a lot of the other women there. That sort of a thing is a great way to get someone's buy-in, get them to kind of understand the precedent. Because the, like a book club or a regular group of friends, it is a regular group of friends. It's not like a regular group of friends. It is a regular group of friends who gather. And this is how they gather. And it's okay to kind of explain that to a newbie and then give them the invite when it happens. My golf girls and I do this, you know, where it's like, oh, well, this is kind of like what our, our golf gathering is like. And we just love to include you. So like, we'll put you on the group text message or something like that. And you give someone the kind of established standard of this particular gathering. But then I would also try to have gatherings that include partners, that include children too. That way you kind of form that larger community party network. It's part of good hosting yeah. to give your guests the information they need to participate well. And in this particular case, knowing a little bit about the tradition, the way this group came together, what gives it that rhythm yeah. that you talk about. I love that description of a, a of a way a social gathering has built some momentum over time is having rhythm because it's so true. There's a yeah. certain frequency to it. <laughs> dance, dance in studio <laughs> snapping his finger. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. The dancer. <laughs> yes. Um this question resonated with me a little totally. bit. And it comes to what Lizzie was just saying about maybe also opening that space up a little bit for this type of group to change and evolve as the lives of the people that participate change and evolve also. Well, and my thought was more so expand. Exactly. So, that the, so you keep that girls night, but then mm-hmm. you have other nights that, okay, we're on the same page. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I wanted to share. I've, I've got a group like this a little bit in my life also. And it was um, at one point a kind of holdout bachelor crew among the college friends. Those of us that were still single would get together. So it was the... Was this for the football? Is this the football crew or is it a different crew? No, although the football crew's also... Because now the football crew's a family event. Yeah, it's Everybody... all the wives and babies too. Yeah. Exactly. So what was very much Sunday games with the guys is now Sunday games with the families. And that's one group that has made the Which transition changed. completely. You haven't like kept it, kept it like every other... Sunday is just the dudes. It's it's absorbed. Exactly. Every once in a while it happens, but it, that, that's the exception now. You know, secretly, Dan and I were cheering the first weekend that he got Pooja to go to the football weekend, and he's gotten Pooja into football now, so it's like, yeah! And all the kids play together, and it's just, it's remarkable. Baby it's awesome. wears the Brady jersey I made for her. Super Bowl baby. <laughs> um, but we digress. <laughs> we do. The, the Bachelor group um, has changed more slowly. Yeah. There was a particular nature to this group that also had its own rhythm. This is the trip you do each year. Exactly. Okay. I know this group now. Okay. But we have also said we look forward to someday doing this with our wives and kids. We don't want nice. this to be something that ends. We want it to be something that 20 years from now we're, we continue to enjoy. Nice. And but that change is going to happen more slowly. I'm yeah. I'm the first crack <laughs> in that, <laughs> that particular that vase. Group. Exactly. <laughs> so the way that we're changing it is an expansion. We're talking about keeping the nature of the weekend get together the same, but maybe the the young baby just comes for a visit for a night. Maybe they still do a larger gathering that's just the guys, and I come for a shorter time. Period of it, which also makes sense because I don't have quite as much time. Yeah, as to be I able to. used to be able to dedicate a whole sense. long weekend to it. So. I'm navigating this particular transition myself right now and am appreciating their willingness to expand a little bit. But I also appreciate the special nature of the the weekend itself and wouldn't right. want to impose or interrupt it. And I'm not the first one. There have been other yeah, yeah, yeah. instances where the group has shifted and changed <laughs> a little bit. In the kind of case that I'm describing, I would say keep an eye on the majority. As lives change, the group may evolve, but you do want to honor those traditions. And I, I really hear that in your question as well as you think about making those changes. Thank you for your questions. And please, please, please send us your updates. We want to hear how our advice worked for you or didn't and you found something that would work better. We'd love to know about it. So please send us those updates and comments and, of course, your questions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Let's get to some feedback. Heck yeah! Each week we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics that we cover. So here they are. 
We heard from Happy Mimi, who had this to say about second births and managing the laboring parents' parents during delivery. So this came from episode 124 is the reference, um, the original question. And it was the mom who was saying, hey, we're having our second kid and I need to know how to manage all my family because everyone got upset during birth number one about the waiting times and the thises and the thats. So this is what Mimi had to say. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a little behind on my podcast, so this note is in response to a question from a few weeks ago. A young mom expecting her second baby was asking how to gently let her parents know that she really didn't want anyone waiting at the hospital while she was in labor. Your responses were, as always, very good, but there might be an easier answer for all concerned. My husband and I were indeed in the waiting room when our first granddaughter was born, as requested by our daughter and son-in-law. Obviously, we were thrilled to be there, but I already know that when a second baby comes along, we will not be there. And why not? Because, of course, someone who is loved and trusted must be at home with the now toddler granddaughter. Who is more loved and trusted than her grandparents? We will stay home with her, keep her entertained, and when the time is right, bring her to the hospital to meet her new sibling. Everyone wins. Keep up the highly entertaining good work. Happy Mimi. I, isn't that a great idea? That makes brilliant. total sense to me. Absolutely brilliant. Right? I love it. Another option. The this heart is... of good etiquette, practicality. Yes, exactly. This is why we have people write in, because our listeners are smart and they have good ideas. In a recent short question show, episode 127, David was reminded of a phrase from his time in Italy. Greetings, Lizzie, Dan, and team. First, congratulations to Dan and his family on the birth of their daughter. What wonderful news! I hope you share many years of joy together. Regarding today's episode, the question, when do I eat? While I was in Italy, I learned a phrase that I still use today when I am hosting at home or out. It translates to, food and friends are best warm. It is a sweet and welcoming phrase, and it never fails to bring a smile to people's faces and a comfortable meal. Best David. I love that one because that's certainly, as you heard us talk about in that episode, it's the post-family motto is to eat while it's hot. Um, and I think that, that finding ways like food and friends are best warm, are, are finding ways like that to say it, they do. They bring a smile to people's faces. It makes them feel really good about it. It's inviting. It's sweet. It's cute. It's It's all those good things that make you feel... Like, everything's okay. You're a guest, you've listened to your host, and you've been welcomed to begin eating. One of my favorite things about this piece of feedback is that came in response to our call for information about etiquette in other cultures. Yes! And I want to put that call out there one more time. We really love hearing about etiquette traditions from your homes, the companies that you work for, and the countries that you live in. So please keep them coming. We want to hear all about it. And if anybody has the Italian translation of that, I'd love to hear it in Italian. That'd be really fun to be able to offer that up. And I get to try my bad Italian. Yeah, you get to try your bad Italian. <laughs> well, thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Today's postscript is inspired by what we really hope is the coming spring, which oftentimes is the start of wedding season. So on today's postscript, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into an etiquette topic, and our topic is weddings and yes. planning weddings. The start of wedding planning. It's, I mean, so a lot of people got engaged during the holidays. It's a really traditional time to get engaged. You're around a lot of family. You can celebrate with everybody there. It's wonderful. And then there's this kind of like blissful period where you don't have to yet start thinking about anything. But at the same time, you're kind of just getting the news out and getting all the wonderful praise and comfort and support of family. And that's all wonderful. And then kind of like mid-February, end of February hits and you realize you have to start planning things. Weddings do take time to plan. They can also be very simple. But for most folks, they really try to plan about a year in advance. And so that means for a a spring wedding of next year, you're really starting to think about things at this point if you've gotten engaged over the holidays. So the big three, the big three that impact each other are venue, guest list, and budget. So you could pick anyone to start with. Most people find that one of them starts to 
rise up as the one that the others are influenced by. So sometimes it's there's a very special place that you want to get married in. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that, that that place only has a capacity of 75 people or it eats up most of your budget or, you know, you decide that having all of the people you love around you is so much more important than anything else that the wedding becomes very casual so that you can accommodate that giant guest list. Or it's that, hey, we really want to be frugal or we want to be conscious of our budget. Your budget might be really big, but you still want to be very conscious of it. And therefore, our budget is going to dictate the type of place we can go to and the number of people that we can have. So usually it's one of those three that emerges. Often it is guest list that emerges as the the kind of winner um, mm-hmm. because a lot of people at the end of the day come down to – I really want to have everyone there that I want to have there. And they'll start letting go of a venue or letting go of a certain expense in order to accommodate the people. That's not to say it's the only way to go. There might be a location that is incredibly sentimental and important to you and your fiancé or your family. And that's why the location, you know, becomes the, the, the most important thing. But these three tend to kind of influence each other. And they're the first three that you really talk about. Um, so I thought we'd just give some points on venue, guest list, and budget. I like that idea of these three things that kind of play off each other and really start to, in very common sense, practical ways, give you some parameters to put around what is in obviously in your <laughs> mind sort of a, a, a very big deal, but also sometimes a little amorphous in terms of the actual practical, what is this going to look like? Yeah. And you and Pooja experienced this, that there was a balance between the people and the budget and the place. And you guys had the place changed at one point, which was interesting to absorb. <laughs> we sure did. I was reflecting as you were talking. And for us, a little bit like you said, for us, it was the guest list, I think, yeah. that really emerged as the important thing. It was the people that really mattered. I didn't get married in the little church that I grew up going to that I always thought I would get married in. And it just wasn't going to work for everybody. And so it changed. Mm. When it comes to that venue, that place that you're thinking of, start researching immediately. I would encourage you now that kind of the the word has been spread and everyone knows you're engaged and you've absorbed it, start making those calls to the places that you'd like to go to find out what their availability is. A lot of places book up more than a year in advance. So don't be surprised if you're told, oh, we don't have any availability till 2019. Believe it or not, it, it can be very disappointing pointing always put yourself on cancellation list just in case but i would be prepared for the wait time to be longer than you imagine it being the author of our wedding book you have much <laughs> more experience with this than i do one of the the go-to pieces of advice that i sort of shorthand go to yeah. is something i heard our aunt peggy say which is that you choose your venue and your date and after that everything cascades into place pretty much for the most part i would say your budget is probably a pretty big factor there too but again these three no matter what you can claim one kind of really influences the other. It's amazing. But it does really happen that way. So start researching immediately. Get your notes. Get things figured out for that venue. Um, When you start looking at a venue, if you don't have a wedding planner who's helping you go through the process, really be conscious of things like how far is the ceremony from the potential reception? Can they be done together? What are the food options? If you don't like the food options, can you work with outside vendors? What are the parameters around this particular venue? One of the biggest things that they will tell you right off the bat is the capacity. And that's really going to help you inform the next decision, which is your guest list. Guest list is so crucial. I can't even picture any wedding movie I've ever seen that doesn't involve some scene about the guest list and who do we have to cut? No. And there's some fight. There's a great one in Father of the Bride about it. (laughs) But I think that it's very personal. It's emotional. It's um, it's the connections in your lives and the people that you want to celebrate them with. It's your parents and the people that they want to celebrate with. It's the different cultures and what are the expectations from each culture about who should come to a wedding. Um, it's a lot of things to balance. I'm reminded of a seed from a, the book, Truly Emily Post, the biography <laughs> of Emily yeah. written by her son. And there is a hysterical scene of her father just announcing that he will not have these people at his daughter's <laughs> oh, wedding. God. So in Emily's own life, oh. this was a this was an experience she, she had. She understood this. You want to obviously think about who are the most important. If you were going to have a really, really small wedding, who would be the must-haves? And then work outward from there. We've discussed in the past uh, A and B lists and whether or not they are appropriate. They need to be handled delicately if you do 
have them go out. Um, it's the kind of thing where it it might be more of a when you get a response to a save the date card and someone lets you know, hey, we won't be able to attend. That's when you can then engage someone from a B list and send it because you're so far in advance. You're already pumping them up to the A list kind of before invitations have even gone out. But you do not ever want for a whole round of people to get an invitation like eight weeks prior to the wedding and a whole round of people get invitations four weeks prior to the wedding because I bet some of them are friends or family and talk to each other and it would be a noticeable difference. That's getting a little farther down the line. But when you're thinking about guest lists, oftentimes the couple gets the guest list. Each set of parents gets a guest list. You can divide that however you want. It could be in thirds. Everybody get equal amounts. We had in our family, one of the families was very small. Our post family is not huge, but it's not small either. I mean, there were like around nine of us grandkids, 10 of us grandkids. And so, you know, we're, we're not a small group, but the family of the bride was very small. It was just the immediate family, no grandparents, no aunts and uncles. And so the guest list division, you know, wasn't equal because it didn't make sense for it to be. And so they accommodated based on kind of, well, we only have 40 people to invite anyway. Okay, great. So that means we can probably invite our 100 people. And You know, it might be a little heavy on the post side, but it balanced out. Everybody that the bride and groom and the parents really wanted to be there were able to be invited. And I think that's what's really important. You might have to negotiate this. There might be people who you'd really like to have come that you just can't accommodate because you have to respect the other people involved. One of the main points we do like to give to brides and groom, but especially to parents of the bride and groom, is parents, please let this be a party for your children, for the couple who are getting married. It is certainly in some cultures really important that the parents are the ones to actually choose the guest list, and I would always respect that from a cultural perspective. But for most modern American weddings, it is really wonderful to have the bride and groom celebrated by people they know. A lot of the times what was happening was was parents were inviting people that the couple getting married had never even met. And that starts to feel like I'm celebrating this very personal day with people I don't even know. So we do suggest that, that you really listen to the couple um, and respect the fact that for the most part, you want people they know and that they want there. So the third of our big main three is the budget. And this is the one we talked about this on the show actually recently with Uncle Billy. We, t- you know, Jill is is engaged, and so we're gonna have another wedding. They were talking about how they chose to deal with the budget, and they were dealing with step parents as well. So it was Billy wanted to make sure that that Jill's father was involved in everything, and everyone was paying respect to everybody. It was really great. But budget is something you need to have that really candid conversation about. And I really want to encourage people. We live in an entertainment culture that really has placed a high value on weddings and weddings being a big showy event where you have to have all these things and all these elements. I will tell you that Emily Post herself thought one of the most beautiful weddings was a quiet country morning wedding with a lovely homemade spread. It was a very quaint event that she describes in her first book, and she describes it as being beautiful. And I would encourage brides and grooms to not feel the pressure of the industry, but to instead really seek, and this is advice from my sister Anna Post, what's going to make you feel married on your day? I love that what advice. What is going to make you feel married? Is, you know, mints that say mint to be real, are they really going to make you feel married? Or, you know, is, is everything pink going to make you feel married? If it is, that's fine that that's the thing that makes you feel married. But at the end of the day, really think about what's going to make this feel like it was your day to commit your life to somebody else because that's what you're doing. Your sister gave me that advice, yeah. and it was the so most good. helpful advice that I got. You start to wrestle with these big questions. Uh, they feel like really uh, fraught, sometimes fraught questions, and the clarity of that vision. Do, what's going to make you feel married? Yeah. How do you want to build an event that's going to have some impact and some import for you that's going to be a ceremony that starts to invest this commitment with some meaning? And I, I think it's wise to return to that clarity of vision, keep your eye on that prize as you navigate through all of this. Absolutely. And I would encourage people to have the candid conversations, um, approach your folks and say, hey, mom and dad, we're starting to get into the planning of this wedding now. And 
We just wanted to find out if you had any wishes to contribute to the wedding or if you had any expectations about contributing to the wedding. Those are good conversation starters. Um, couples always approaching your parents without the expectation that they are going to participate in, in contributing finances to your wedding. I would c- operate from the place of you're going to do it on your own. And then if people are willing to donate or willing to contribute, that's really up to them. And it's something that you invite them to do without asking them to do. And I think that that's an important distinction. Um, and of course, always know the expectations that might be coming with that money. I don't think there should be any with it, but some parents out there are like, I will pay for your wedding dress, but not if it's going to be off the shoulder. So find out what the expectations might be before you commit to the finances. And you could always say that's a lovely gesture, but I'd love the freedom to, to you know, not disappoint you. And then and that lets you kind of say, you know, hey, mom, I appreciate it. But, I, you know, that type of dress is really important to me. Um, that's a conversation for a whole other show. But I do think that one thing to remember, and it is a really tough decision, but the best way to trim your budget is to trim your guest list. And that's a really hard thing to say, but it is a reality. So again, you see how these three things, venue, guest list, and budget, start to impact each other heavily. And yeah, you can play the cup game with them and move move, move the penny, move the pea. Where is it? Or, you know, where's the most important? They're all going to influence each other. But if you're having candid conversations, if you're being open, if you are being realistic and practical, my guess is that you're going to come to a place that you and those who are who are helping to contribute to the wedding feel really great about. And so it begins. Right. <laughs> this is really an exciting time, and we invite all of you to embrace it and enjoy it. In our two years of courting and engagement, we had come to know a lot about each other. And we had learned to love each other in a way that stood the test of... <laughs> Two years' time, anyway. As you know, we love to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today's salute comes from Denise, who is nominating her daughter, Emily. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I want to send out a salute to my daughter, Emily. I recommended your podcast to her about a year ago, and she has been a faithful listener ever since. She is a young mom, and she and her husband are relatively new to their area. They reach out to their neighbors by visiting them when they moved in and inviting them over to their house for barbecues. She is also very aware of the women in her friend group. She has thrown several baby showers, and she is hosting a sip and see for another friend after hearing about it on Awesome Etiquette. She will frequently call and text me with an etiquette question, and we will discuss what Lizzie and Dan would do. I am so proud of her for embracing etiquette in her life. I feel that it is serving her well, and she is confident in her entertaining and her other social engagements. Best, Denise. That's so lovely. Denise, thank you so much for that etiquette salute, and thank you for sharing the show with someone that you love. We really wish your daughter the best in her new home with her new child. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. Thank you for listening. This show is never going to happen without you. So thank you. Thank you for giving us your time and attention and your questions and your thoughts. Thank you to everybody who sent us something. You can send us questions and comments and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and our Awesome Etiquette intern is Michaela Varanoff. Oh,